Have a seat. Man, I love those songs. It's been a while, but I mean, we are preaching from 4,000-year-old uh, stuff, so I think we can go back a few decades, right? Uh, today uh, is our third week in The Broken. We've done a series on Joshua being dead, and then another one on Joshua being dead, and no, this one is not Joshua's still, still dead, though I really wanted to. Today is meet the judges, but before we do that, I think it's prudent to do a quick uh, previously on the broken sort of recap, and you don't have a skip button available to you. You have to listen to the recap. Uh, Some of you that power through Netflix series know exactly what I'm talking about. So we've been somewhat nondescript so far on what a judge is, and that's on purpose because they haven't really been important to the story yet, but now they are. And they're going to be very important to our story as well. The role of the judge in the book of Judges may not be what you immediately think of when you think of judge. So right now, just do a quick think on that. When you think of judge, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? What's your, what's your first draft on that? Not after you think about it for 10 minutes, like, what do you think of? Maybe you see a certain picture in your head. Most likely, it is not at all what the book of Judges is about, and that's important. Maybe some of you saw a judgmental person. Anybody see that? You know I like voting in here. So, okay, nobody, that's fine. Judge not lest you be judged, that type of, or maybe you saw like the judge in old Western movies. Anybody? You know, send him to the judge, that type thing. And he's always a hanging judge. You ever notice that? And uh, maybe that's what you saw. Or, Or maybe you saw a judicial type judge, like the Supreme Court. Or sort of thing like that. Now, I will admit, I didn't, when I first, my first draft on judges isn't the Supreme Court. It's Harry T. Stone, to be honest with you. It's night court all the way for me. Uh, so that's not good. I heard they're rebooting that. Is it good? I don't know. I haven't watched it. Good, bad? They're never as good. I refuse to believe that. But these judges aren't like that. They're more along the lines of a military hero. Most of them, for the most part. The main idea of these judges is they're local deliverers for a local people. So it is difficult sometimes to draw a line from the judges to the Israelites to us here, you know, in North Wales, but we're going to do it. It's uh, less night court, more A-team, just to kind of show you what era I grew up in watching TV. (laughs) But it is super important because I think of the 13 or some say 12, it doesn't really matter, of the 13 judges in this book, they're, they're very curious individuals. In fact, what we'll see today is, for, for the most part, this is true throughout the entire God's word, the Bible, for the most part, the people God chooses to lead his people are people we would never choose. Did you guys ever keen in on that one? Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, you would never choose those people. Moses, he killed a guy. Let's have him be our leader, you know? He ran away from God. Let's have him be it, you know? Uh, Mary, she's betrothed to be married. Let's, let's use her to, you know, mess up her marriage. Like, no, we would never do that, right? And so what we see is these judges, they're all a lot like you and I. They're broken people. And if you remember, we figured out a couple weeks ago, we're all broken, but God wants to make us whole. And so oftentimes he'll use the weakness of people to show us our foolishness. Have you ever been a fool? Yeah, man. 
Uh, do you remember the cycle of sin that we talked about? That awesome thing that we all are somewhere on. Maybe you talked about it in your community groups this week. And there's, there's seven phases. It's a lot. You know, we, we rebel. God doesn't like it. We get oppressed by our enemies, which often are uh, the very thing that we turn to instead of God, then enslaves us in some fashion. And then we repent, and then God restores, and then you're delivered, and then what is typically the last step of the phase, we forget again. We do it all over again. And those things we'll see in Judges happens over and over and over for a period of 350 to 450 years. But for us, very very personally, it could happen every day in some form or fashion. I know our community group, when we were talking about it, we were like, man, there's versions of this cycle that occur every day of my life. And I don't think our community group is the only one that's zeroed in on that. Did you guys discover that? Because honestly, I see that cycle over and over and over in my life, in your life, in some lives. Maybe not to the degree we see in the book of Judges, but in some degree. And Israel at this time has no central leadership, no monarchy. They, they weren't voting in leaders. They were, they were not choosing their leaders either. They were asking God to send them leaders. And, you know, they weren't like us right now that you get to vote in like really great, value driven, moral, upstanding leaders. Ah, sorry. That's, uh, I can't say that with a straight face, but, but they did get what God gave them. So do we, you know. And in many ways, you'll see that what God gave them was a judge, was a ruler, was a, a person to deliver them. But over and over and over again, he delivers them or she delivers them by showing them how foolish they are. So let's get to it. Let's meet one of the first ones. You guys ready? Remember, this is a TVMA rating for violent content. There would be some flashing on the screen. There isn't. Uh, you, know, the, you know that they always give you that. You always read that up at the top left. Like, oh, that's what's coming. Not that I watch those shows. I immediately turn it off when I see it. Why? Here's the first question. Why is God sending the judges? What is the point? Some of you ask that every week when I preach. <laughs> Thank you for the courtesy laugh. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Now, we read that, we wonder, why did God leave Canaanites in the land that he promised? Why do you do that? Well, we see it's to test them, right? In one sense, we need to only realize this was a job undone, right? They started it. They didn't conquer everybody. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. We covered that at length two weeks ago. They didn't do it. In another sense, we would say, oh, God is using those people now to test them and see where their belief really stands. So we might at first say, yeah, it's, it's mom and dad's fault. Anybody just blame your parents for everything? And like, sometimes you're right, aren't you? Okay, no hands, because some of you have your parents in the room, right? But it's their fault. They, they ran out. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. They didn't finish the conquering. And now we're stuck with their mess. Accurate, but not 100% accurate. Or you, you can use that, that what we see here is like, oh, where is your belief right now? Do, do you believe that God fights your battles now? 
Can you or will you follow God in a land that is full of people who do not follow God? You see where it's easy to build a bridge from a local Israelite problem to a local Keystone problem. Can I believe that God will fight my battles? Can I believe that he's got me? Can I believe that? And will I believe that? In many ways, the story of the broken judges is the story of us. Do I really believe that God is going to do that? Do I have to get my chair out again? Do I really believe that I can rest in Jesus? That everything he says he's going to do, he'll do. Do I really believe that? That's the, the story of the broken. And here's what I know. We love to sing songs about God fighting our battles, don't we? Do you guys know the one? This is how I fight my battle. That's how I sing it, right? Little country twang in my voice. I can't help it. We talk about God fighting our battles. We go to CGs and pray for each other's battles. But do we really believe that God will fight our battles? Like, really believe it? Do you or don't you, right? Do a rethink on this. Do I really trust him to do it? Or do I still think that I am helping? Like, what's my part in the battle? Uh, how about this? I trust God. Remember, we talked about this last week. Y'all loved it. I trust God with my eternity, but I don't trust him with tomorrow. Anybody? Dude, where are you on the cycle of that? I totally trust God that created the universe and Jesus died for my sins. Totally trust that that is possible, but I do not trust him with my budget. That is my specialty. Uh-huh. I don't trust him with my parenting. I'm better at that. No, you're not. I don't trust him with my education. I don't trust him with where I go at night. I don't trust him with what I look at with my eyes. That's my stuff. I'll trust him with my eternity. But then we sing, this is how I fight my battles. It is how you fight your battles. You're the one fighting them. God said, I will fight them. So he tests us. He tests us. Can I just say... The idea that God will fight your battles and take care of you may be the most life-changing thing you will learn in the series, The Broken. That you are broken and God wants to make you whole and he's the one that does the making. Not our study. Not our ability. All gifts that he gives us. So we get tested. Our faith gets tested. You ever get your faith tested? Raise your hand if you ever had your faith tested. Okay, did you pass? Raise your hand if you passed. <laughs> I tricked you. Mid-hand raise, I had you another thing. Mid-hand raise, I switched it up. I have. You know what? Every time, without a doubt, 100%, every time I've had my faith tested, I've not liked it. It's always been not fun. Anybody? Just, man, I just love getting stretched. I just love it when I fail. <laughs> I love it when God tests me. But I'm glad that it happened. Because God fights my battles. But I keep learning over and over. They got tested. The, the judges are about to be the ones to test them. God's testing them, but he's using the judges to display their foolishness back to them. And he's testing them. And guess what? Just like us, sometimes they fail. You ever fail a test? Let's have a moment of honesty. All right, you ready? Who in here has ever failed an exam, a test of any God? Okay, me too. You know what? I got a 51 out of 100 on a New Testament exam in seminary. It hurts me even now to even say it out loud. Some of you are like, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no surprise. That's why we're in Judges. 
but it's much better in the Old Testament. There's more books. Uh, there's a different professor. Uh, we got along. He, under, he didn't understand me. He didn't understand. I'm not good at test taking. Yeah, but that's how we grade. <laughs> Don't worry. I was really good at writing papers so I could bring my grade up. Whew, man, those tests. Thank you. And those tests were hard. Let me just tell you, to justify it, my goodness, 51. And I think I was on a curve. We see that list of who lived among them. We're about to see it. And we're like, oh, gosh, yeah, God is testing them. He's testing their faith to show who they are. Look at this. We'll start in verse 5 just because there's so many. The people of Israel lived among. You know what? Let's have some fun here. Let's all read these verses together. It's just fun to hear everybody say these words. Among the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Stop. Okay, those are easy, guys. 51, making fun of me. And their daughters, they took themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served, what is it? They served their gods. To be clear, I want to be very clear here, living among them isn't the problem. That we are kind of required to do that. Living among them isn't the problem. <clears throat> Sorry. It's, it, we're going to do that until the Lord returns. You will live among people that don't believe the same thing as you. They don't vote like you. They don't live like you. That is not the problem. We work with people who don't follow Jesus. We go to uh, work out with people who don't follow Jesus. Trust me. We, we, it, that is not the problem. But here's where the problem. They began to intertwine. They began to start families with people that did not follow Jesus. They began to say, we're going to serve your gods for a little while. That's what, that is a problem. That's a problem. Think on this. You and I, we're surrounded by people that don't think anything we did today is real. They think you're bananas. They do. They think that. We're surrounded by unbelievers. We are. But I should be able, by God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit, to dwell among them and not compromise. But sometimes we fail that test. Sometimes we fail it. Jesus even said, you're to be the what of the earth? The what? And, and the what on a hill? The light on a hill. Do your neighbors, do they think you're the salt of the earth? Or do they just think you're salty? Uh-huh. See? That's New Testament 51. That's why. I was ahead of them. Do, you, do your neighbors call you that? Or do they just think, oh, yeah, that's the holy roller on the corner. You see, we can have an influence in the world in which we live, but they got off track, and so do we sometimes. And God uses the foolishness of the world. I'm not calling them fools. I'm saying the foolishness of the world to test our faith. I don't know who your Hittites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites are, but they're all around you. Even Paul in the New Testament, he plainly said, don't do it. He gets very down to the nitty-gritty. He would say, don't marry unbelievers. That's what he would say. We call it unequally yoked. You ever heard that phrase? Not out of church, you haven't. Unequally yoked. Here's how I hear it sometimes when I have this discussion with people. I wrote down some key phrases I often hear. Well, I think I can make it work. You can't. We will get married. I know he isn't a Christian. He never wants to come to church. and He doesn't believe the Bible is real, but I can change all that. No, you can't. 
This was an issue way back in the Old Testament. It caused tons of problems. And this went on for so long that they, they eventually became one of my worst fears for a church. You ready? They eventually became just like everybody else. How long, let's think on this, how long before I start to look and act like everybody else? How long will I go? Judges 3, 7 says, and the people of Israel, we should have this one memorized by now. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth, which is all the gods. There is a Baal God, but all the gods. In other words, they, they asked God to coexist with their gods. We, still, we don't want to give up you, God. We just want you to kind of coexist with all these other great gods that we've found. God, I want you and I love you, but I also need to love these. Uh, how about this? They would have said prayers like this. I wrote down some. Baal, make our crops grow, and God, help Baal make our crops grow. Now you say, well, I would never do that. You just hang on. Asherah, bless us with children. Lord, thank you for blessing us with children. You ever do things like that? This was super popular with this generation because they had forgot that the one true God is the one true God. And so maybe they even said it like this, if this was in our era, maybe like this. Hey, there's this new church in town and we can pray to the God of our parents, but we can also do whatever we want. We found the perfect church. This should sound painfully familiar to us. I'm certainly not knocking other churches. I'm not casting stones at other churches. In fact, guess what? There's a new church opening today in Doylestown from one of our friends, Titus. Pastor Titus starting a new church in Doylestown. And I'll tell you, I've been praying for that church. I pray for that church. Living hope, man. They're, they're going multi-site today. We support that and we love them. We need good churches in this area. What I am saying is we need to be careful. We don't just intertwine so much. I trust God with my afterlife, but I don't trust him with my life. And the cycle is in full swing now here for the judges. And, and God gives them over to their enemies. We know that. They begin to see that they've really messed it up. And so what do they do? What do you do when you really mess it up? You begin to beg for a deliverer. God, get me out of this. And God's gracious and loving. He doesn't say things like, well, you got yourself into it. <laughs> That's why we would make terrible gods. That's why we're broken, guys. Enter judge number one, Othniel. He will save the day. And he does. Look, verse nine. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathiam, king of Mesopotamia, into the hand and his hand prevailed over those people so that the land had rest for how many years? 40 years. Then he died. Othniel was one of the better judges. He doesn't have any real significance here other than he's always mentioned with Uncle Caleb and you know why. That carried some major weight. Remember Caleb, 80 years, I'm still ready to go to war. He was that guy, right? Like, he was that guy. Hulk Hogan. Man, another 80s reference. He goes in, he delivers the people. Who thinks it's stuck? I mean, we're in chapter three, and you know there's more than three chapters, right? So it's like, "Mm," it didn't. 
40 years. About how many generations is 40 years? One. One generation, and then they forget. They forget. It only takes one generation to forget. Enter judge number two, Ehud, which I will consistently pronounce differently. Ehud, Ehud, I don't know. Remember, TVMA here, TVMA. What is God? Here's what I want you to see. Think about this before we talk about Ehud. What is God trying to show me through a perceived weakness? Think of your weaknesses. You may not think of those often, or you may think of them too much, but what is God trying to show me through a perceived weakness? That's the story of Ehud. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Check. Right? And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Eglon gets very little here, but we know historically he was a very bad man. For 18 years, you could sum up his, his oppression over the Israelites as he murdered them and raped them for 18 years. That is his rule. Oppression at the max. And so the people of Israel, in verse 15, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer named what? Ehud, or Ehud. The son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now remember, in the cycle, we're in the repent and deliver mode, and God does. He sends Ehud, the lefty judge. The lefty judge, which may seem like a strange little piece of information, but it isn't at all, and you'll see that in a moment. In fact, do we have any lefties in here? Raise your hand if you're lefty. I'm surprised you didn't raise your left hand, honestly. Surprised you didn't. That's okay. Raise your left hand if you're left-handed. Thank you. All right. Much better. He most likely, he was either born left-handed or he didn't have the use of his right arm. We don't know that, and it's not really super important. What is interesting is that this will become the advantage for the deliverance you'll see here in a moment. The lefty judge is about to surprise everyone. And a quick side note, by the time we get to chapter 20 in the book of Judges, you'll see that the Benjamites, they must have had a lot of really skilled left-handed people. And they'll say 700 left-handed men who can throw a stone from a sling within a hair's breadth, which I think means really accurate. Uh, so it's just like all the lefties got together and they were like, you know what? We're really good at throwing things left-handed. Nobody sees it coming. Let's form a little militia. And they did. So if you're lefty in here, your time's coming here in a few minutes and then again in about 10 weeks. So just hang with me. But what is interesting about lefties in this era is that they would have been looked at as that is an impediment. They would have been thought of as like uh, uh, disabled like that that's not good that you're left-handed. Now, we know that's different. Lefty pitchers are awesome. Left hook, I mean, come on, we have all kinds of phrases for that. But it's important for this, that they would have looked at Ehud and thought he is weak because he's left-handed. And so he volunteers to go see Eglon and pay tribute, but he brings with him a little surprise. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. Where did he bind it? But he's left-handed. Huh? 18 inches concealed. He had a permit. We're fine. Most people draw <laughs> from the side that is dominant. So no one would have even thought to check his right side. Oh, he's left-handed. They're going to check his lefty, right? And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. I swear to you it says that. 
It's like, that's mean. That's mean. It seems irrelevant. Like, why? I know you don't like him, but you have to make fun of him? No, trust me. This is not an irrelevant piece of information. If you need a picture in your mind of what's going on here, just think of Jabba the Hutt, okay? You got it? You got it in your head? Again, 80s reference, I get that. Jabba the Hutt, go into your mind. Uh, uh, he's coming in. He's paying tribute to Jabba. And, you know, he says something like this. As a token of my goodwill, I present to you a gift. These two droids. Come on. I had to, like, uh, he didn't give him droids. He probably gave him gold. And then Ehud had finished presenting the tribute. He sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols, Nilgirgal, and said... I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from him in his presence, which in Hatiz is Shulu Aliat Bol Awai, in case you're wondering. Uh, the king sends everyone out. Just Eglon and Ehud are left in the room. Jabba and Ehud. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. I told you that was not a throwaway piece of information. For he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. What just happened? <laughs> that went downhill quick, didn't it? You read that right? You heard me right. This is bananas. Eglon didn't see this coming. He would have considered this man useless because he's lefty. He's weak. He will never hurt me. Didn't even search him. No perceived threat. And then Ehud went out onto the porch, closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, locked them. And when he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. This is a middle schooler's dream, this passage, I'm just telling you. And an immature pastor. And they waited till they were embarrassed. They waited so long that they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. A lot going on here. A lot. I don't need to explain a lot of it. I think pretty, pretty straightforward. Ehud escaped while they delayed. And he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syria. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. Oh, lefty did it, man, I'm telling you. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. And so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. That is significant. It's the longest time 
that's recorded in the book of Judges between the cycles. 80 years they had peace. 80 years they were at least in some degree agreeing with he is the one true God. Now, who thinks it stuck? Because that's a great story, isn't it? That's one you tell over and over and over. Who thinks it stuck? 80 years. And after him was Shamgar. What? I thought maybe he would be it. Nope. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. We don't know a ton about Shamgar except that after 80 years, they needed another deliverer. Now, here's where I'll admit this. You may be saying and questioning the title of this series and the entire three-week introduction as to why these judges are so bad because, quite honestly, they seem pretty cool to me. They seem pretty awesome. I mean, they are getting it done, taking out 600 Philistines with a gardening tool. That's pretty awesome, right? Confronting Jabba the Hutt, spirit-filled Othniel, cleaning out the land. What is so broken about these people? Let's look at at least one last question. Because I think this is where we're going to land, right? I think. You never know. This is for us to think about. Am I weak enough for God to use? Hear me. Am I weak enough for God to use? We want to build a great church, right? We want this to go for generation, generation. We don't want us to forget in 20 years. Am I weak enough for God to use? We look at these three judges today. We have a clear choice as to who we would choose last we lived in that culture. Ehud. Othniel and Shamgar, pretty predictable. Othniel had had Caleb lineage. He's going to do pretty good. Shamgar, obvious warrior, fighter. He's like John Wick with a pencil, only with a gardening tool. Ehud, lefty, not intimidating. Didn't even check his side. He was able to deliver through his weakness. Some of us are so busy fighting our own battles that we can't get anything ever done because we just will not lean into our weakness and let God do it. Every believer I've ever met in my life would say, I want to be used by God. Some form or fashion. I want to be used by God. And so my question for us today is, are you weak enough? Not are you strong enough? Are you weak enough? Or do you still think that you have to Work your way into his good graces. Do you still think you have to prove yourself to God? I think you can see the straight line from judge deliverer to the ultimate judge deliverer in Jesus, can't you? Do you know how Jesus was once described when they said, hey, a deliverer is coming, a king is coming, Uh, one is coming that will will set up a new kingdom. And, And what's the first thought in your mind when you think of a person that does that? What's your first draft in your mind of that? Is it this? He had nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. That's Isaiah describing the coming Jesus. He's weak. All of these judges point to Jesus. Every single one of them. He delivers us, not through some great battle. There will be a great battle. But that isn't how he delivered us on the cross. In fact, we could characterize the cross as crushing defeat. Weakness. Ehud points to Jesus. He also points to us. 
God uses an outsider to deliver you. Are you an outsider? Or do you look like everyone else? Do I think... Do I think God chooses me because of my ability and strengths? Does he choose me because he's looking to take my weakness and make me strong? Othniel Shamgar, both used, but, but think about this. All through the Bible, all through history, all through church history, all through probably your life, you will see that God takes you from broken to whole, from weak to strong. Sometimes she'll test your faith and sometimes you will fail. What are you learning from it? Do you know what I learned from getting a 51 out of 100 on a New Testament exam? That I'm not as smart as I thought I was. That I needed to slow down. That I needed to try a little harder. He makes them whole and then uses them for his plan and his purpose. So every believer I know wants to be used by God. Am I, am I weak enough to be used by God? Or do I still think that this is how I fight my battle? There's a clear trajectory towards weakness in the Bible and it all culminates with Jesus, the ultimate outsider. The ultimate outsider, the one that no one would have picked to deliver the world. So it kind of raises this question, how, how can I go from broken to whole? How can I do it? We know we need salvation, and, and you may not be able to name it, but I bet, I bet you know it. We know we're broken. We know that God loves to save the broken, and we often try to save ourselves. We say things like, I'm going to work really hard at this, or I'm going to prove myself there. In other words, I can find trusting God in my afterlife, but I'm having trouble finding him in my like, life, life. To be honest, a lot of people miss salvation from Jesus because it just seems too easy. I wouldn't say it's easy, but I would say it's simple. I want to talk to the Jesus followers first in the room as our worship team comes up. I want to speak and pray with the Jesus followers in the room right now. Would, would this describe you? Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord uh, to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Would that describe your walk? In your strength, are you missing what the Lord has for you? Are you being led by the Spirit? Or are you being led by your ability? I asked a moment ago, are you weak enough for God to use? Are you? Are you weak enough? Would, would you even right now in, your, in, in our prayer time, would you, would you yield control to God? Would you give in? Would you pray and ask God even right now, God, how do you want to use me? Why don't we just bow our heads and just pray that right now? God, how, how do you want to use me? I'm available. How do you want to use me? God may take what you think is a weakness and fill you with so much spirit, his spirit, that you will tell the story the rest of your life. So ask him, God, how do you want to use me? Let me encourage you, once God starts to show you that, pray on that for a week before you come and tell me what he said. 
pray on that every day. God, how do you want to use me? How can I go from broken to whole? Second to the folks that maybe are online or or here in the room that would say, I'm I'm not a Jesus follower. I think think you were talking about me a minute ago when you said the people that were all around. I'm one of the people that that were all around and, and I really want to follow Jesus. Here's the great news. The Bible has a lot to say about that. One of the greatest things it says is that we can confess our sins to God and he will forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleanse us, make us new, make us new. It would make you a new creation. You know, in this moment, you're so broken and you're so miserable and you just want to be happy. I get that. You need Jesus to fight your battle. So I would invite you right now, if you want to, if you, if you are like, yes, I want to, show me how to do that. I get to do this all the time with people in person, one-on-one, and I love to do it here. And sometimes people, they say, I'm so glad I did that. I gave my life to Jesus, and here's how you do it. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You admit that. I believe that you came in humility for me. You died on the cross rose from the dead come into my life be my savior be my lord I choose to follow you from this day forward your son Jesus name amen if you prayed that I would love to know it There's tons of ways you can tell me you can find me in the lobby and tell me you can write it down on one of these cards you can fill out a form. There's all kinds of ways don't go a day without letting us know some of you would like to be baptized, maybe. You've been following Jesus, and you're like, man, I want to be baptized. Guess what? Today, after our second service, we're going to have a baptism party. So you got plenty of time to go home, get some swimming trunks or whatever it is. You don't have to do that either. We baptized a lady in a sweater once. Remember that? And so we, we even got, we'll give you a T-shirt or something. You can be baptized today. It's a step of obedience in your walk with Jesus Christ. Let's worship God. Let's, let's be prayerful and worship